Morning to folks at home. Nice for us to be together. I was absent last Sunday. I was at Hertford Street. They're doing well. Josh is at the moment away on holidays. Uh, went up to Cairns. He's got, I still think he's got this week off, and then he's back. Um, and they look like they're finding out the cause of his very high blood pressure, so continue to pray for him. And it could be that he may be facing an operation. That's still to be determined, but they are expecting that for his future, and then he'll have uh, a few weeks off, uh, certainly a period of time off. So we need to pray for them and continue to support them. Um, yeah, there's lots happening as we approach the end of the year. We're sort of gearing up, aren't we, rather than slowing down. It's a very busy time, which is great. It's good to see that God is at work, that he hasn't abandoned us, he hasn't given up on us, but he's holding us in the palm of his hand and doing many, many good things. Um, November's going to be a busy month, and then when we get to December, we have the Christmas program. And by that stage, my wife will have retired from teaching. She'll be home every day. Hmm. You're hearing me. So pray, please, for God to... Yeah, for Rhonda, yes. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, we can be together. We thank you for each other. We thank you for your presence and for your word. As we read your word now, Lord, and as we think about what it says to us, we pray that you might... Enlighten us, speak to us, remind us of truths that we already know and embrace, open our eyes to new insights or new truths that we are yet to discover. Lord Jesus, have your way in each of our lives, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Our Bible reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse um, 15, I think it is, down to the end, down to verse 21. Is that right? Is that verse 16? 15. Whatever. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly or a fleshly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word to us today. Amen. Um, it's a familiar passage uh, and contains truths which are very relevant for this season that we are going into. In our morning, it'll take us all the way up to the end of November and Charlie will be doing a similar process or theme at night, but different uh, aspects of looking at it. Pastor Charlie's ones uh, is doing a series called uh, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. It's good to have him back off holidays, isn't it? 
Yeah, he's never going away again. <laughs> and then uh, I'm doing one of them this morning, and I'm calling it Contagious Christian, which is a title of a book written by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg. So this is Christian, Contagious Christians 2. This is our second talk in this process, and there is about, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven. We'll wait and see. Back in the 2nd century BC, the Greeks compiled a list of man-made, impressive man-made structures throughout the world, and they call it the Seven Wonders of the World. You would have heard of this. The Pyramids of Egypt, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Temple of Artemis in Ephesus. Um, some of the others may not be as familiar to you. The, light, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, the Statue of Zeus, the Mausoleum of Halicarnassus, and the Colossus of Rhodes. It's been repeated throughout history. The Greeks were the first to do it. But other people have compiled the seven greatest wonders of the Middle Ages, the seven greatest wonders of the natural world, or even today, the seven greatest wonders of the modern world. I wonder if we could do something like this, that we could make up a list of the seven wonders of the spiritual world. What would be the truths that you would include in it? Here is my list. I wrote a list out and it came up to about 12 and so then I've pruned it down a little bit and this is my list and one of these is what we're going to focus on certainly today but also in the, the days that are ahead, the weeks that are ahead. My list is God loves us. That's a great list. He made us, he knows us and he really likes us a lot. God loves us. God saves us, forgives us, he rescues us and restores us to life with him, reconciles us, as we read in the passage. Number three, God transforms us into becoming more and more like Jesus. He is at work in us. But he's also at work around us because God is the one who guides us. That's a great spiritual truth. The fifth spiritual truth that I would say, the great spiritual truth in the world that we know of, is that God wants to use us. He has shaped us moulded us, equipped us, gifted us, placed us. He wants to use us where we are as his representatives, as his ambassadors. God wants to satisfy us, fill us and complete us with his love and peace. And number seven, God is going to be with us. He is for us, he is in us, and he's going to be with us forever because he will take us into his heaven when we depart this world and then he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. It's because Jesus came that we can conclude that God cares about us and that he loves us. Oh, great. There's the list that I just read to you. For some stupid reason, I didn't have that marked in my notes. Yeah, done that. Therefore, we matter to him. That's the truth I want you to get today. We matter to him. He's concerned about you. He cares for you. He loves you. He's put all of these things in place for you. In fact, the very world that you live in is made by him. Scientists, I think it's scientists, who call it the anthropic principle. That if just some things were just slightly different in our universe and in our world, we wouldn't be here. But God has gone to a great deal of effort to put it just right. That there is just the right amount of oxygen in the atmosphere. If there was too much, you'd never be able to put a fire out. If there wasn't enough, you wouldn't be able to breathe. The tilt of the axis gives us the seasons. Change that just ever so slightly, it's going to be too hot, too cold. All of these details, the sun, the size of the sun, the distance of the earth from the sun, the size of the earth, the speed the earth rotates and revolves, they're all precise. 
It's called the anthropic principle. As scientists look at these things, someone has gone to a great deal of trouble to make this just right, the Goldilocks model. Just right. God did it. Why? Because he's our creator and he cares for us. We only exist because of him. We matter to him. Jesus indeed spent a whole lot of time with very ordinary people. He didn't come just for the religious people or for the good people. He came for the irreligious. He came for the unconvinced. He came for those who were spiritually confused, the morally bankrupt, those who struggled with life. He did not exclude those who thought they were too good. He certainly invited them, but he didn't focus upon them. He focused upon the down and outers, the people that others like the Pharisees who would say God has no use for those sorts of people and they would have their own list. They would gather in their huddles and they'd shake their heads and they'd talk about other people amongst themselves, judging people, no thinking that they were acceptable to God while others weren't. And Jesus wanted to correct that and to confront that. He told stories, he performed miracles, because he was trying to push them to think about God and therefore people differently the way that he thinks about God. One time, in fact, Jesus told three stories in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We've looked at those and Jeff Island looked at those just in recent months here. Those three stories that Jesus tells in this rapid-fire fashion have some consistent truths to it and you guys know this. Something of significance was lost, whether it was a lost sheep or it was a lost coin or it was a lost son. Something of significance was lost and there was an all-out search made for it. Drop everything, go look for it. And then when the person or thing is found and restored, there is this celebration and joy. And God, of, Jesus, of course, is talking about God and his attitude towards us who are significant to him and we were lost He drops everything and he comes looking for us and finds us and then rejoices and has a party. God's love reaches into this world and it reaches beyond the limits of sin and for wandering men and women in this world. God's love endures and persists beyond years of resistance, years of being ignored, years of self-indulgence. It's almost like God says, even though you're off track and you're far from home, You matter to me. We matter to him. Even criminals. Thief on the cross. All you have to do is turn. Say, could you remember me when you come in your kingdom? I'll see you in paradise tonight. Or a murderer. Think of the Apostle Paul. Pursued by God. Everyone matters to God. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. He cares about you. Now, for us, that can be a difficult concept to get because it's very different to how we treat one another. It's different to our love and our attitudes towards others. Our love is limited. Our love is conditional. Our love is finite. It's of this life only. We love selected people. So this is mind-blowing to try and get your brain around this But here is the truth. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. You have never looked into the eyes of another human being who does not matter to God. Not even when you're looking in the mirror. It's a great truth, isn't it? Think about that person who annoys you. Think about that person who frustrates you, who hurts you. Look into their eyes. And even though you don't, but they matter to God. You don't like them, but God does. 
That can be one of the annoying things about God's grace. You want God to zap them. But he won't. Don't pray for justice. Always pray for mercy. Because if we get justice, we're dead. We're gone. Everybody matters to him. You never look into the eyes of another human being. He doesn't matter to him. When that truth grabs you, when you get that, it'll transform the way that you see people. You'll treat people differently. The checkout chick or chook who's, when you're at the supermarket, you won't ignore them. You'll engage with them. You'll be friendly to them. You'll be nice to them. That annoying person at Coles or Woolworths who is busy going around collecting stuff because somebody's ordered food online and their big trolley is in your road and they won't move because they've got their agenda and you're the customer and you should be, have the right to do it. They matter to God all the time. Sinners matter to a holy God. In fact, billions of people matter to a holy God. Millions of billions of people. We've all failed. We've all fallen. But billions of people have found forgiveness in Christ. God's inclination towards us is one of love. He seeks us, he saves us, and he wants to bless us. He says so. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. We've become his followers. Great love, lavished on us. Or Matthew 7.11. It's the, if you then, as bad as you are, as evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your kids... How much more will your heavenly Father give great blessings and things to you if you ask him for it? God's attitude towards us is one of love. Oh, I didn't bring the book. Bother. Um, one of my favourite books and that I give away at child dedications and that I give to um, my cousins and, and uh, you know, nephews and nieces, when they have a child, this is the book I give them. God thinks you're wonderful. Many of you will know what the book is and many of you probably don't. Max Licardo has this little book. It's a little red-covered book and it's got uh, illustrations in it. And just from memory, it says things like, and I, get, I ask the parents, read this to your child. Read it for yourself, but read it for your child. It's theologically profound and insightful. If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Turn the page. If God had a knife, he'd carve your initials in the tree in heaven. If God had a fridge, then your photo would be on it. And the book is filled with ideas like that. Of God, is, God thinks we're wonderful. He is for us. He hasn't got his hands on his hips. He's not frowning at us and shaking his finger saying, at the moment, he loves us. And he doesn't, in one sense, he doesn't send us to hell. We take ourselves there. We go against that overwhelming flow of divine compassion towards us. And God, because he gave us free will, basically says, if you don't want to have a relationship with me, that's your choice. Breaks my heart, but it's your choice. And so therefore, you have to go depart from me. I'm not going to make you go to heaven. You have to choose to go there. And I think it's C.S. Lewis who says that he heard the doors of hell slam shut and you hear the sound of the bolt going in and the door locking. And the lock is on the inside. It's people locking God out. Lamentations says to us, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We know that. We sing that. We quote that. Some of you probably have it on walls at home. It's like God is saying, I want you to look at the sun. And just like the sun is shining brightly all day, I'm going to love you all day. Just like I did yesterday. And my love doesn't run out, but every morning it is new, it is refreshed. Every morning my love is being poured out on this world, on us. Every breath we take. People like us. People with problems like us that we have, or people with pasts that we may have. People with secrets. People with skeletons in their closet. People with shame or with guilt. Whoever you are and whatever you have done, you matter to God far more than you think you do. Now, whether that's new information for you or it's a reminder of that information, my question for you this morning is, do you know it? Have you felt it? Do you experience that? Are you living in the experience of that? That God is watching you. He is protecting you. He approves and welcomes you. He accepts you in Christ. People look for that sort of level of acceptance and love in all of the wrong places in our world. They go to bars and clubs, they go to bank vaults, they think it's the answer's in money, or they try drugs or materialism or any other sorts of pleasure, hedonistic pleasures, you name it. We all like to be liked. But when you experience God's love, this love, then you won't feel that you need people's approval so much. Because you have overwhelming acceptance by your heavenly Father. The most important response I get every day after I do stuff like this, were you pleased? Were you happy? No. I go over there and I sit down and I say, Lord, were you pleased? Was I faithful? Did I say what you wanted me to say? And even on those Sundays when I tank it, and we all tank sometimes, even on those days, it's the same question. I feel lousy, but Lord, were you pleased? Can you use it? Most important thing is our relationship and our attitude towards him. Um, how do we know that God loves us? If somebody asked that question, what would you say? Here is my answer. <clears throat> because he says so, and he wrote it. He wrote it down. When you were at high school, did you write the name of your girlfriend on the inside of your suitcase? If you had a suitcase when you went to school? I did. Did you write it in your homework book and in your books and on the inside of your covers? Did you carve her initials or his initials in a tree? <clears throat> yep, did all those. God does a similar thing. How do we know that God loves us? When I met Rhonda, as I told the youth on Friday night, I mean, she was smitten from the very beginning. <laughs> I mean, I was stunning, but <clears throat> was stunning. <laughs> One of my first conversations with her went something like this. I mean, I'm attracted to her, and she to me, of course. <laughs> I said, I like you. Now it's hanging out there, now she's got to say something back. Well, that's good. Or, I like you too, which is the response you're looking for. 
And then you're prepared to take a little other step. I like you a lot. And you're looking for that response. Not me too. Because that means we both like her a lot. <laughs> so we're heading in the right direction. So then I want to say, I love spending time with you. So we're almost there. And then eventually you take a deep breath, your heart skips a beat, your palms go sweaty and you take the risk. I love you. And if it falls on deaf ears, it's devastating. In my case, it fell on very accepting ears. God says to us, I love you. And he's waiting for our RSVP. He's waiting for our response. He's waiting for their response. And he's going to use us as the messengers to communicate this to him. How do we know that God loves us? Because he says so. And along with saying it goes an incredible responsibility where you have to back it up with action. Not just say the words. You've got the obligation to prove it. God said it in the prophets, in the scriptures. God wrote it in his book. It's in print. It's on record. And he wants you to read it and reread it. And he wants you to get the message again and again and again. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, Jeremiah, and Israel, and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Incredible. Therefore, I've drawn you with cords of kindness. Romans 5.8, you know this, God demonstrates his love for us. How? While we were rebelling and still sinners, while we weren't interested in him at all, Christ died for us because he loved us. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world, they didn't put up there, but 1 John 4.9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God not only says it, God not only wrote it, but God illustrates it. All through the scripture uses different pictures. If you're a scientist, if you're into astronomy, if any of those sorts of things, then in Psalm 103 and verse 11, God says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how much he loves us. Or maybe... Um, What's this one? You're like a, an animal lover. So God, Jesus uses the picture of a hen. Um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that I sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together. That's God's desire. Just like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't interested, you weren't willing. God's attitude is for us. Or he illustrates it. Uh, like a mother. Can a mother forget the baby at her breasts and have no compassion for the child she's born? It does happen. But gee, it's rare, isn't it? Mothers don't forget their kids. Mothers are very compassionate and very loving. Incredible. And one of Rhonda's school, this is an aside, one of Rhonda's school friends, teacher, she had her triplets this morning. Two little girls and a little boy. Got to about 35 weeks. She's the one I said before, I think, somewhere. She has three children already. Now she has six. Under six. Everything changes. You don't buy a car, you buy a bus. <laughs> you need eight seaters. Six kids, mum and dad. When you buy a gift, you don't buy one, you buy three. Incredible, isn't it? Do you think it's likely she'll forget her kids? No. And God's the same. Just like a mum cares for the kids, so I will never forget you. God says, 
And for dads, we don't get left out either. Psalm 103, which is a beautiful psalm. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. He's like a father. And if you're none of those, you're not a scientist, not an animal lover, you're not a mum, you're not a dad. Well, Jesus even uses this analogy. Greater love has no one than this. Someone lays down their life for their friend. You can relate to that. The way you look after your friends and care for your friends, that's how God, that's his attitudes towards you. Like I said, it's a high-risk pronouncement and God is awaiting what's your response. He's left it hanging out there. He's even written it down. He's illustrated it. And you, because of free will, have the potential to trample it. Many people do. Ignore it, let it go. And many of you here today haven't done that. You've treasured it. You've embraced it. You've walked towards him. If you have experienced God's love and you've received it and God has shed abroad his love in your heart, then do this. Spill some of it on your spouse. Let it overflow your heart to your kids, to your parents, to your neighbours, to your work colleagues, to one another in the church. Take the opportunities for these hospitality Sundays or for these gatherings to get together or camps or whatever. Get into a small group. Connect with one another in fellowship. Love one another. And most of all, love God. As you've experienced his love, so love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. 1 John 4.19, I didn't put this one up. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. You know that verse. We love because he first loved us. Reverse it. He first loved us, so we love. He first loved us, so therefore we love. As he has loved us, so he wants to use us. In the passage that we read this morning, let me take you through that quickly. Just bringing out the highlights of the main message of it. In verses 9 to 10, our ambition, our goal, please him. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. Our path is not career-directed, it's not you know, something else directed, financial prosperity or anything. Our goal is to please him. And then Paul gives some motivations of why that was his chief and primary motivation. Because he says in verse 10 that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We have to give an account for what we're doing with our life. That motivated him. It's a good reminder. Second motivation is we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know him. Not tremble, scared of him, but deep, moving respect and submission to him. And that's what motivates us to try and persuade others. And he goes on to say, Christ's love, third motivation, compels us. That's Christ's love for us. It's um, our love for Christ. But it's also Christ's love for the lost compels us. Because we love him, we want to please him. And he's passionately concerned about lost people. We all matter to him. And if you've experienced his love, then you are not to live for yourself any longer. You are to live for him who died and was raised again. It's not about us, it's about him. Then the Apostle Paul goes on to say, God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. We've experienced reconciliation And so now he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Just like God sent Jesus into the world to redeem people, so now Jesus is sending us 
I want you to carry on what I started. We are his instruments. We are his ambassador, the Apostle Paul is going to say. And at the end there it says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have the truth. We have the message. We know what the most important message in the world is. Don't hold it in. Don't hold it back. We are there for his ambassadors, his representatives in this world. And see, that is what Paul does. God, it's like God is making his appeal to others through us. We employ, implore you, us to them, be reconciled to God. We know this stuff. That's not the question, is it? The question is always, are we going to do it? God cares about lost people. That's the emphasis of that passage. Befriending, loving and helping wayward people move towards faith in Christ as our God-given mission. Befriending, liking and loving them and helping them in God's timing, moving them towards faith in Christ. Not pushing, not Bible bashing, not preaching, sharing. What's the one thing we will not do in heaven? Witness. Engage in mission, reaching out to people. So we are here to reach people here. If lost people matter to God, and if we want to live lives that please God and to be increasingly like Jesus, then lost people need to matter to us as well. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. And just before he left, he said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Our purpose, therefore, is far greater than career, as I said, or paying bills, or loving family, or being good citizens, or whatever else we are involved in. It should all the things that we do and enjoy, the way God has shaped us and is using us, should have this filter always. How does God want to use this activity, this event, this relationship for his kingdom purposes? Always be on the lookout and on the alert. God wants us to be his agents in this kingdom advance. He wants us to be contagious carriers of the gospel. He wants us to be spreaders, hmm. forming little clusters of outbreaks of people becoming to know the Lord Jesus and for that to permeate all of our relationships. We know this. And so this is what this series is going about. It's we want to talk about how do you do this? And again, most of you will know this, but that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks there's the steps, there's the messages for the next, whatever, three or four weeks. We need to, number one, be authentic followers first. That's number one. Then build relationships with people who aren't people who don't know Jesus. And for most of you, I envy you because for you it's easy. For me, it's hard. Why? Well, because my world is surrounded by Christians. Everybody in the office is a Christian. That's true, isn't it, Pete? I think so. Yeah. All the pastors are Christians, I hope. Most of the people I talk to are Christians. I have to go out of my way to find non-Christians. I live next door to them, but now I've got to be nice to my neighbours. <laughs> yeah. I have to go join organisations. I have to go find places. 
And if you're like me, because this is what happens, when you become a follower of Jesus, you have non-Christian friends and non-Christian family and everything else, but over years, over decades, eventually these people become followers or they drop off and you get new friends. Now you have Christian friends and a Christian family. You're surrounded by Christians. I'm not here for Christians. We're here for fellowship and to worship and do those things and to grow, but we are here primarily to be ambassadors for Jesus to reach lost people. So if you're at a work and you work with non-Christians, I envy you. God has placed you in a place where it's easy for you. And I know there's all issues that go with that, but don't lose it. I had a lady sharing with me this morning about her job. And she has uh, two-thirds of the people are Christians and one-third are not Christians. Which is wonderful, I thought. Here is the opportunity for these Christians to have an impact on these ones. And I said to the person... You know, your difficulty is going to be when they have that impact and these other ones, these third become Christians, then you've got all Christians in your work job, in your workplace. Then you've got to be in my world. Now you've got to go find some non-Christians. That's why I talk to supermarket checkout chicks all the time. That's why I try to engage them. That's why I try to be nice to them. That's why I try to smile at my neighbours and talk to them and engage and all that sort of stuff. It's difficult. And I tell you what, it's very easy for me to excuse myself saying I have so much to do in the work of the church and the life of the church that I really don't have time to go join a non-Christian sporting club. I just don't have time. But maybe that's what I should do. What do you reckon? The only time I can do that probably is a Sunday morning. Is that all right? I used to say 20 years ago, and I still believe it, if you come to church in the morning and you come to church at night and you're like me, you don't have any non-Christian friends or many non-Christian friends, stop coming to church on one of those occasions. Your choice. Come in the morning, don't come at night. Come at night, don't come in the morning. What are you going to do now with that extra few hours that you've got? Use that to reach non-Christians. That's how high the stakes are. That's how important this is. We've got to prioritise it. And so things like carols, which I thoroughly enjoy because the non-Christians are brought to you. Same here with church. There are people here who don't know Jesus, who aren't following him. It's an opportunity for us to do so. Anyway, building relationships. Then to bless them, that means begin with prayer, listen to them, eat with them, serve them. And the last one is, when you get an opportunity, share the story. And we're going to emphasise, you need to know your story, and we'll hear some of them, I hope, and you need to know his story, the gospel story. God certainly wants to use you, because um, he made you, he shaped you, he placed you where you are. Bill Hybels was at a, uh, a meeting of all pastors and stuff, and the speaker came out and he unrolled this uh, roll of uh, dots. You know those things? Teachers use them all the time. Little round dots, whether they're gold or coloured or yellow, red or whatever, blue. And, they, and he rolled them out. And he, as he was rolling it out, he was walking around and he was putting blue dots on things. And they had like a model car on stage. You put a dot on that. And they had a little model house on it. He put a dot on that. And he's walking around and he's talking. And he says, maybe you can't see this, but on these little dots there is one word written. And the one word is... Temporary. That's temporary. That's temporary. That's temporary. My shirt's temporary. My glasses are temporary. 
There's only one thing in the room here, he says, that is not temporary. There's only one thing that lives beyond this world. Answer? People. People. Bodies and souls. It's the only thing that will survive this world. It's the only thing that will go into eternity. And he made the comment, if you're living for these things that have the dots on them, then you're living a life of temporary pleasure, temporary satisfaction and temporary fulfilment. Temporary, temporary, temporary. This world is temporary. And the only thing that will survive it is people. When you get to the end of your life and you take your last breath, what do you want your life to be about? You've heard these stories, deathbed stories of where people, um, multi-millionaires, they get to their deathbed scene and they, what do they regret most? What do they desire most? Family, friends, relationships, people. So too for us. There really is another world. I remind you of what Paul said. Judgment day is coming. We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we need to take this seriously. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. We need to get on with it. We matter to God. God loves us. He saved us. He cares for lost people. God wants to use us to reach them and God will hold us to account. Do those things. Be authentic. Build relationships. Know your story. Know God's story. The gospel story. Time to pray. Let's pray together. You are a loving, good God. You care about us far more than we are aware. Lord, move in us. Help us to embrace this truth, to experience it. And may your love in us overflow to touch those around us, those closest to us, but those also, Lord, that we are now increasingly aware that they matter to you and you want to use us in building a bridge into their life that they might come to know you as well, to experience your forgiveness and your love. Lord, here we are. Take us and use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.